Okay, Jeff, anytime you're ready. Cool. Wow, Gordon, you've been around for a while. <laughs> He's, he claims he's only 60. 61. Okay. Uh, the Essential Tozer Collection. Uh, he's got a couple of these trilogy books. Um, the one that I started with was The Knowledge of the Holy, The Pursuit of God, and Man's Pursu uh, God's Pursuit of Man. Uh, good stuff. This one is The Pursuit of God, The Purpose of Man, and The Crucified Life. And I've read The Crucified Life. I've read The Pursuit of God. I'm going through The Purpose of Man now. My Sunday school class is actually doing The Pursuit of God. But let me, let me just read a couple things uh, as we begin from chapter 7. What came first, workers or worshipers? And so, you know, you go through it, you underline various things, and then we come to this part of the chapter where it says, well, here's one. Christianity is, not, Christianity is not a result of coming to God and becoming an automatic cookie-cutter Christian, stamped out with a die. One size fits all. What God has done for others, he'll do for you. These are marvelous mottos of, with a grain of truth in them, but they lead us far from the absolute truth. We come to Christ so that we might be individually redeemed and made in the image of Christ, vibrant, personal Christians who love God with all our hearts and worship him in the beauty of holiness. Kind of like, well, that's just some good stuff as far as vibrant, personal Christians who love God with all of our hearts and worship him in the beauty of holiness. Um, the, the whole, the purpose of man is talking about worship. And in one of the previous chapters, he talks about what worship isn't and uh, gives a variety of things. And, and I've said that, you know, worship is not that feeling that you get when you sing a particular song 18 times or whatever the case is. But um, he points out that worship is imperative. If you will, it's, it's mandatory, okay? Uh, and he goes through all kinds of things as to um, what it takes to worship God and things like that, but I'm, I'm looking for one particular page here. I probably passed it. Um, ah, there it is. God is infinitely more concerned that he has worshipers than he has workers. If we could only remember that as far as his plans are concerned, God does not need us. I think we should work for the Lord but it is a matter of grace on God's part. However, I do not think we should ever work until we learn to worship. Let me continue on so you'll understand why. A worshiper can work with eternal quality in his work, but a worker who does not worship is only piling up wood, hay, and stubble for the time when God sets the world on fire. And he brings this up at least twice where we... We like to jump in and, and do things. And the reality is, is 
you need that relationship with God to be in such a way that when you're doing it, you're doing it with God. As Pastor brought up a couple weeks ago, the concept of synergy. You're the tool, you're the instrument. Yes, you're doing the work, but it's in the power of the Spirit. It is for God's glory, and it's not about you. And uh, so, something to think about, especially as, uh, well, at least some of us here are involved in a variety of working. Are we just being workers, or are we worshiping God in our work? And again, the definition that he's going to give you of worship is where you're walking in the fear of the Lord. Uh, You're understanding who he is, who you are, your need, uh, your dependence upon him. So it basically comes down to that spirit-filled life. It's that kind of thing. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Those are all uh, important verses when we're talking about uh, coming down to our dependence upon him. Um, Very often... You know, the trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Those couple of verses right there really kind of say, this is how you live the whole life. And we lean on our our own understanding a lot. We kind of find ourselves in Romans chapter 7 in that sense. Uh, But it is one of those things where, uh, as Pastor brought up a couple of weeks ago, uh, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your soul. The, that's the first invitation. The second invitation, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and I will, you will find rest for your soul. So um, our chapter this week is the rest of reckoning. And so we're going to spend a little time in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your love, for your care, for the things that you have done in us, the things that you are doing in us, and Lord, the hope that we have of glory uh, because of the work that you are doing and will do. Uh, We ask tonight that you'd open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us, that we might learn how to walk according to this rest that you have made available for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so pressing on to maturity, um, Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul writes, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfect, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Uh, so you can see that the, the purpose of what God is doing in us is that we would become mature. Uh, And we'll see as we go along, actually to become more like Christ. So let's take a look at our notes here. God's design. Well, first of all, in order for this to happen, this pressing on to maturity, you have to have a new person. You got to make a new person. So uh, notice we have a new entity through salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are, have become new. 
Ephesians 4.24 says, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And 1 John 3.9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Uh, what I see in these three verses is when a person gets saved, they are a different person. Uh, according to the uh, New Covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, God was going to give the person a new spirit, write his uh, laws on their hearts, put his spirit in them, and cause them to walk in his ways, and it was irrevocable. Those are basically the five points of the New Covenant. And we experience that because of the blessings of Abraham, but we are new people. Now, the reason why it's so important to get that into our heads is because as long as you think that, okay, I got saved, I'm going to heaven, but I'm still struggling with, and you look at your condition, you're not going to understand how to get beyond that condition because you, in order to get beyond it, you really have to go back to your, who you are in Christ. You're a new person. Okay, so a new entity through salvation. And of course, that brings us to the Romans 6, 1 to 11 passage, where you have a new identity through, through union with Christ. The old you was crucified with Christ, was buried with Christ, was raised again. Now, the old you wasn't raised again. This new part of you was raised again so that you could walk in newness of life. And of course, verse 11, you are to reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. You have to believe that the part of you that motivated, instigated, uh, brought sin about uh, to, to a reality in you, that part's dead. You're no longer attached to it. You're now in union with Christ. That brings us to number two. First of all, you make a new person. Second, you develop that new person to be and look like Christ, Romans 8, 29. It says, for whom he foreknew... He, pre, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he is in the process of conforming us into the image of his son, making us look like, making us more like, not just look, because we have a tendency to look at verses in the Bible and, uh, and then try and do what that verse says, not understanding the ramifications of our personal effort. For example, we are to be imitators of Christ, right? And so all of a sudden, we try to imitate Christ. That works about as good as trying to stop sinning, okay? You cannot do it. Uh, today, I was sharing in chapel. Uh, I go to the gym during lunchtime, and um, so... I, I took a few months off because I had uh, torn uh, Achilles and uh, twisted my knee, and so I wasn't going to the gym. And uh, so when I went back to the gym in the end of November, I had probably dropped 100 to 150 pounds in the exercises that I was doing. The weight that I was lifting was 100 to 150 pounds lighter. And I started that way on purpose because you know what happens. You, you go right back into it. You tear muscle like crazy, and two days later, it's kind of like, okay. I'm here. <laughs> you can't move because your muscles are all sore. What's that? 
Can't wash your hair. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, I did, cur I did uh, curls yesterday. Can't, can't touch the top of your head. Uh, things like that. So I've been taking it nice and easy, doing a lot of reps, and I'm getting close to up to the point where I was back in June. Um, and uh, wh why do I do that? Well, for me, the most part, it's quality of life. Uh, you know, keep the muscles strong. Supposedly muscle burns fat. Hasn't worked on me, but that's another story altogether. Uh, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, quality of life. That's really what it's all about. It's not as though I'm looking to build muscle and look like Arnold. You know, but the fact that I'm working out, the muscles are becoming a little bit firmer. And so you work out to get stronger. But how many of you have been down to Eckert's? You've gone apple picking? Okay. When it comes to a tree bearing fruit, they don't go to the local gym for trees and work various branches so that they can flex it and there's a fruit. No, they need sunlight, water with all of the nutrients that they get from that, and some bees saying hi. And for the most part, after that, fruit happens. You know, and I, we used to have those signs hung up all over the place. The tree bears the fruit. It's the life of, that's in the tree coming out. And uh, it's not like building muscles. And so when, we, when the Bible says that we're to be imitators of Jesus Christ, it really isn't saying, try to do it, build those muscles. It's saying, walk in the Spirit. That's exactly how he did things. Walk in the Spirit, and God is the one that is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. We call this the uh, process of sanctification. Pastor and I were talking about this a little bit this afternoon. Uh, we talk about positional sanctification. God has set you apart. He's put you in Christ. Well, those things that are true about him, now true about you. And then they got the progressive sanctification where he's growing you up. I uh, heard about two young ladies that were going to have a, a sit down here recently. And uh, one of them, being just a few years old in Christ, uh, was seeing where the other one was not doing something the way that maybe uh, she should. Now, should she do it the way this young lady thought? And the answer is, yeah, probably. Um, who's in charge of that growth process? Yeah, God is. And uh, we like to, and, and there's nothing wrong with encouraging someone in an area, but you really want to be careful how you come across. She also struggled with the church that this person went to. It's kind of like, you know, I might agree that maybe that's not the best church, but that's where they are right now. Let God be God in their life. But they thought that one was actually more important than how they were raising their children. It's kind of, you know, let God be God. He will bring that about. Now, nothing wrong with the encouragement, the pointing something out. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says we ought to. But how are you going to do it? If, if I am further along than you are. You should listen to me. Come across that way, and of course, that's not going to work. But we do have progressive sanctification where there's growing. And ultimately, when is that progressive uh, sanctification finished? Yeah, or, or when we see Christ, okay? Because we may not die before we see him, but we will, when we see him, we will be like him because we're going to see him as he is. Uh, we call that ultimate sanctification. And then, of course, notice letter B, this sanctification process is a work of God. And again, 
He may want to use you to help, uh, you know, instigate or motivate or stir the pot a little bit. You just want to be careful how you're doing it because it is God that changes the person. That brings us to letter B, God's methodology. Again, we have this concept of a synergy. Uh, First of all, we have trials. Romans 5, 1 to 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, saved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty important verse when you think about it. A lot of people looking at their condition, wondering, is God still at peace with me? And the answer is yes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, uh, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So trials, and again, James chapter 1 is a good place to look and see how that whole thing can and sometimes does work out. Uh, Romans chapter 7, the things that I do, I don't understand. I want to do this, but I end up doing that over there, the thing that I hate. Uh, The whole purpose of going through that process in your life is so that you'll see your complete inability to be the person that God wants you to be so that you might finally come to the place where you say, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be unto God for Jesus Christ. And then uh, hopefully you get into Romans chapter 8 also. And then, of course, uh, transforming uh, or transformed by the renewing of one's mind. Now, this is something that we can work together with God on. Uh, Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, Pastor and I both have a book called... uh, Decision-making in the will of God by, yeah, that guy. Friesen, that's right. Yeah, because he's the guy out there in uh, Kansas, uh, the, the one I know. <laughs> um, Gary, Gary Friesen, I think. Yeah. Um, good book. Um, I used to be of the opinion that, you know, there's one special person out there that God leads you to. And when you start looking at the Bible, it's kind of like, you know, as Christians, any two Christians that were willing to work at it could get married and all that. Wow. You mean the options are really up to me? Everybody likes free will when it comes to salvation. But when it comes to God's will, we want to know what God's will is before we do it. And he's saying, study, show yourself approved, make the decision. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3.10, and, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Uh, it's interesting that it says that, uh, says that there because it also says in Ephesians uh, 4.22, that our old man, yeah, the old man is dead, but the law of sin in our members is being corrupted. It's a present active indicative. We're being bombarded by the world. 
And so therefore, we need the renewing of the mind in order to overcome that, uh, Colossians 3.10. And then, of course, number four, the conforming of the outward man to the inward man. And again, this is a place where we can uh, work in synergy with God. The put-off, put-on dynamic, uh, where you stop lying by telling the truth. Why? Because we're members one of another. Uh, be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because you'll give place to the devil. Those verses there in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and elsewhere, you'll find them all over the place in the New Testament if you're looking. Uh, it normally gives you the what you're to stop doing, what you should be doing, and, uh, and sometimes it gives you the why. And uh, every time I hand that homework assignment out, I have to tell people, it says, be angry and do not sin. So what's the put off? Anger. No, it says, be angry and do not sin. Life happens, and sometimes as life is happening, the emotion anger arises to the top. And if you don't stay on top of that thing, what happens? Sinful response. And people talk about righteous anger and unrighteous anger. I'm sorry, that's not what it says there. It says the behavior that comes from anger is what's unrighteous. Be, uh, be angry, don't sin, deal with the conflict as soon as possible. Okay, uh, so uh, you're going to be involved in that. But again, uh, notice this is done through the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's face it, when we get saved... We're so habituated in the sinful practices that we've been involved in that it takes not only a little bit of time to see it as an issue, but then there's all that personal effort of Romans chapter 7 before you finally get into Romans chapter 8, at which point, wow, it stopped. I don't understand how, <laughs> because you didn't do it. It's working in uh, cooperation with the Spirit of God. Now, that is uh, pressing on to maturity. So when we talk about entering God's rest, in that reckoning process, we're going to be seeing all the things that are up there and seeing how they actively are part of our everyday life. Uh, notice uh, Hebrews, if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews, uh, chapter 3 and 4. Starting in verse 6, I better do that too, huh? Uh, <laughs> um, listening for the Holy Spirit's lead. Now, there's this thing when we, uh, when we look at uh, the concept of the Holy Spirit that at least in our kinds of churches, and, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but uh, when, when I went to Bible college, uh, when we studied theology proper, we talked about God. I mean, there was a lot of reverence there, and rightfully so. There ought to be a lot of reverence. And then we talked about Christology. Oh, the Son of God. Uh, again, a lot of reverence. And yes, again, there ought to be. When we got to pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, we learned solid pneumatology. Here's the facts. It was kind of like dragnet. 
Just the facts, ma'am. There wasn't a lot of respect, uh, awe, or anything like that. And so whenever we talk about something like listening for the Holy Spirit's lead, not in this church you don't. <laughs> don't be like that, okay? Uh, the reality is, is we're in a relationship, and the Spirit of God is the one that is living in us, and He is at least trying to direct. He opens our eyes to the truths in the Word of God. Otherwise, you'd just be reading and say, yeah, I got that the last time I read it. We'd never sit there and say, you know, I was reading the Bible. I read this passage a hundred times in the past and never saw this before. Well, how come all of a sudden you saw it? Because you got smarter? No, the Spirit of God said, okay, he's ready. Bing, light bulb went on. Okay, so uh, I'm not trying to be charismatic here, but notice what it says. I'm going to start in verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, let's take a look at our outline here. Listening to the Holy Spirit's lead. Uh, the Holy Spirit's desire for you is that you would... Listen, yeah, that you would learn to walk with him. Okay, um, so notice number two, do not harden your heart. The word for harden there is scleruno. Uh, it means to indurate. Now, I don't know about you, but I never even heard of that word before, so I had to look it up. And it basically means to make hard, callous. Um, when you're weightlifting, a lot of guys like to wear weightlifting gloves and uh, because when you grab that knurled bar and you're lifting any kind of weight, after a while you start getting calluses in here. Well, that's the idea of indurating. You're making something hard. Uh, I don't wear safety, uh, I don't wear weightlifting gloves, but I also use machines that have little rubber handles on them, so <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. Um, <clears throat> uh, to render stubborn and then to harden. That's what the word means, and it basically deals with unbelief. Uh, let me read a few verses for you. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 30, it says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then uh, Luke 12, 28, if God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So I see this as the person is, they're worrying, if you will, for, I never heard of fretting growing up, but that's a word my wife uses a lot. When you're worried that God won't do what you think he ought to, fretting, Okay. Uh, worrying. That is unbelief. What has God said he would do for you? See, uh, very often, it's kind of like the word 
uh, need and want. If I want it, it's a need. No. <laughs> okay. God has promised to provide needs. The wants, you might get them. And you might not. And God would be totally righteous to not give them to you because he's promised to take care of your needs. So worrying or fretting is unbelief. How about looking at circumstances? Uh, Matthew eight twenty six. But he said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, these guys were fishermen. They had been on this sea, probably in some cases for years, fishing it. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is known for its very quick startup storms. And uh, they, I'm sure in a 30-foot boat, probably a little scary at times. Uh, but this one was bad enough where these seasoned fishermen were saying, we're going to die. And Jesus is down in the bottom of the boat sleeping, taking a nap. And it's kind of like, look, if you understand who I am and what I've told you that I'm supposed to be involved in doing, this storm is not going to end my life. And therefore, you ought to just stay near me. But no, they were worried about it. And so in this particular, particular situation, they're looking at the circumstances. How about uh, Matthew 14, 31? And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. This is when Peter is walking on the sea. He's looking at Jesus and he's standing on the way. And then he looks at the waves looking at his circumstances, and starts to sink. And uh, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why? Because he looked at the circumstances. How about leaning on human reasoning? Or, if you will, leaning on your own understanding. Matthew 16, 8. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Here he's saying, guys, I want you to catch this. Stay away from the leaven of the Pharisees. Kind of like, oh man, I forgot to bring the bread. Did you bring the bread? Where, where's the bread? Oy vey. <laughs> you know, just because he uses the word leaven, obviously talking about leaven of the Pharisees, that's not a type of bread. Sourdough is a type of bread. Pharisees is not. Okay. And uh, they just didn't catch it. And they didn't believe what he said because they were basing everything on human reason at that moment. And then, of course, last of all, good old-fashioned unbelief. In Acts chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Not Tyrannosaurus, but Tyrannus. Uh, so the, somewhere in the rush, the ministry of the word hardened these hearts where it had softened these. So the ones that were softened, he took with them and taught them, but he left the ones that, because of unbelief, they hardened their hearts. So when we talk about do not harden your heart, it really is going to come down to unbelief, but there's a variety of ways whereby unbelief is demonstrated. 
Okay. Number three, examples given. Well, the example that was given in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, was the 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, Notice in verse 12a and 12b, their unbelief. It says, Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. So it's not just a matter of not believing God when he says something, but in so doing, basically saying, I don't believe that, so I am going over here. I mean, how many of these people had seen the cloud and the lightning up on that mountain? And what do they do? Aaron, make for us gods. What did Aaron do? Give me the gold. And I just threw it in the pot and out popped this calf. That's what he told Moses afterwards. Now, where'd they get the idea of the calf? Straight out of Egypt. You know, so they departed from the one that had saved them from Egypt and went right back to another God represented by Egypt. (coughs) Excuse me. Get me a cough drop here. So that's the examples given. Letter B, believing God's word. When we talk about believing God's word, uh, most of us would not in any way say something negative about God's word. But what does God say about himself? I'll give you an example. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now let's throw a couple of other things in there. Uh, When you're saved, you're baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, and you are sealed there until the day of redemption. When is the day of redemption? Either death or rapture, right? So you are sealed in the body of Christ. There are people in churches today who believe that you can get out of that. The Holy Spirit sealed you there. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And somehow, people believe you can lose your salvation. Now, can you walk away from God? The answer is, oh yes. 1 John 2.19, they left us to prove they were not one of us. Because if they were of us, they certainly would have remained. Again, going back to make a new person. Okay? But they left and that proved that they weren't one of us. So when we talk about what does God say about himself, uh, he is faithful, okay? What he has promised, he is going to do. How did Paul say it? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, can you be hard-headed and that take a, a period of time? Oh, Yeah. Uh, any one of us can attest to that fact, <laughs> okay? Uh, but the reality is, is uh, how many times have you heard or maybe even said, I should be further along in my walk than I am? Can I tell you that that's a lie? Here's why. What would you have had to do to be further along in your walk? I could have read the Bible more. I could have memorized Scripture more. Okay, knowing who you are, did you do that? No. And therefore, in order to have been further along, you would have had to have been a different person. 
you weren't a different person. So you're right where God has you. Now, can you do something about going faster from here on out? Yeah. Get involved in the habits that'll help you grow. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, so let's go back here to the notes. You were saying? For sure. Because, I mean, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, memorized uh, portions of the book of Matthew. And I don't mean a couple of verses. I mean chapters of the book of Matthew. Didn't work for him. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> okay. So what does God say about himself? Number two, what does God say about his redemption and its purpose? Uh, again, in this day and age, all too many people look at their salvation as something that um, I'm, I'm thankful that God was merciful and uh, he did this for me. And now when I die, I get to go to heaven. And between here and there, what? And, and what about once you're there, what? And it's, they do not really understand the purpose. Why, why did God save us? Well, according to Romans 8.29 again, to conform us to the image of Christ, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's raising up a family, a bunch of little Jesuses. And he has a plan and a purpose for that. We're going to reign with him. And then, of course, eternity comes, and then what? I don't know, because he hasn't told me, but I'm going to be with him forever. <laughs> I know that much. And it's not like sitting in the room is kind of like, so what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? It's not going to be that kind of a thing. There's going to be things to do for him for eternity. Okay, so uh, what do, uh, number three, what does God say about you? Um, the first thing that I think a lot of people miss is the, the, what we call the doctrine of total depravity. Most Christians think they're not that bad. I know most of the world thinks they're not that bad, but when you get saved, you've got your life insurance policy, your eternal life insurance policy, you put it in your pocket, and you're not that bad. You know, I've never killed anybody. I've hated people. I've never committed adultery. I've lusted. I've never, yeah, but I've said some pretty nasty things. You know, just because the Bible says we're totally depraved, it doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. But nothing we do could ever merit any kind of favor with God. That's why Romans 3 says, There is none that does good, no, not one. Okay, so do you believe what God says about you? So how about letter A? Your inability to do what uh, you are called to do. You know, we, we live in Romans chapter 7 to teach us that you can't do it. Uh, letter B, your need for him in everything. I know we've, uh, we've memorized this chapter in the past, but John chapter 15, uh, verse 5, the very end of the verse says, because without me, you can do nothing. Going back to what Tozer said there, God's much more interested in having worshipers. When worshipers work, they're doing something that has eternal value. But workers that are not worshipers, they're just producing wood, hay, and stubble. Okay? Um, how about letter C? Your need for others. We're a pretty independent people. I remember one day a uh, pastor said, 
I know my people. And he was talking about Edgemont Bible Church. They're about as independent as pig's legs on ice. <laughs> you know, just going all over the place, no control. And um, th- that wasn't necessarily to put people down as much as saying our natural tendency, independence. I do not need you. The Bible seems to indicate that I need the body of Christ to help me in my growth process. They need me. Oh, something to think about there. Uh, Letter D, the tendency of your heart. (coughs) I've already had 120 ounces of water. I didn't want to bring any more out here. (laughs) Sorry about that. The tendency of your heart. Notice, um, uh, what, what does it say here in verse 14? It says, for we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end, uh, until the end, the reality that uh, we had at the start. As it said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Oh, oh no, uh, verse 14, where is it? Verse 13, oh, verse 13. Uh, but encourage each other daily while it is called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So I have the wrong number there. The deceitfulness of sin is found in verse 13. Um, again, we are bombarded by the world. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 2, that we're not to be conformed to the image of this world. Okay? We're bombarded by things from the world. The prince of the power of the air. He is using uh, temptations of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, bombarding us all day long. And if we're not careful, sin is deceitful. Yeah. Uh, did any of you hear the little bribery uh, conversation, hot mic with uh, Kerry Lake and um, some DeWitt guy from Arizona today? Okay. How easy would it have been for her to say, sure, I'll take that couple of million dollars and not... Uh, run for senator this, this term because no one's going to know. And then it was leaked. <laughs> and everyone knew, and Mr. DeWitt lost his job, and Kerry's looking like a pretty decent politician. We'll see in time, I imagine. Uh, but sin is deceitful. It, it lies to you. It, it seduces you. Okay. And then, of course, part of our natural tendency is our rebellious twist. Uh, Verse 15, and it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. I don't know about you, but my natural tendency is I'm relatively rebellious. Uh, My wife says, do this. And I say, yeah, I'll get to it. When I'm good and ready. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it's been that way in, at times in the past, I'm sure. So that's a, we need to believe what God says about us. How about number four? What God says about the consequences of unbelief. Gordon liked that one. <laughs> uh, letter A, those who were saved from Egypt died in the wilderness. I, I think God says that he tested them ten times in the wilderness. And each time, nope, nope, nope. Now, I'll be honest with you, it kind of brings a little bit of fear uh, in my life. It's kind of like, how many times did I say no? (laughs) How many times do you have to say no word? Oh, that's it. Uh, And thankfully, I I don't think I've reached that number. But whoa, 
These people, they never did enter into the land of rest. They died in the wilderness. That was one of the consequences of unbelief. Letter B, they did not enter into his rest, verses 18 and 19. Uh, So they never did get it right. Verses 18 and 19 says, and who did not uh, and who did not he swear to that they would not enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now you might remember, they came out of uh, Egypt and God knew, can't move them right up into Israel because, or into the land of Canaan because as soon as war hits, they don't have the right mindset for that. But it was a year or two later that he brings them to Beersheba and says, okay, guys, you've been with me for a couple of years. It's time to go in. And they said, no, thanks, but no thanks. There's giants in the land, big problems that we are too small to handle. Okay. Then you won't go in. Oh, now, wait a minute. I I didn't know that was part of the options here. We'll go in. Don't go in. You're going to get beat up. They go in, and I think it was something like 20,000 of them died that day. But they never did get to go in. For the next 38 to 40 years, they marched around the wilderness watching and having to bury all these people that were dying. Never did. Okay, so that brings us to letter C. God's rest is still available. In uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping uh, with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. So let's take a a look at letter C. First of all, the fear of the Lord. Uh, Again, uh, we studied the fear of the Lord for four weeks in here in Sunday nights uh, in Proverbs. And the fear of the Lord ultimately is to have the proper respect. He is God and I'm not. In fact, I need him for everything. It is that kind of a relationship, okay? Uh, So notice, therefore, while the promise uh, to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. Uh, Each one of us should at least have a measure of fear. This is what I'm supposed to be going toward, and I want to be a part of that, because if not, what what is my life going to be? It's going to look like those people that wandered through the wilderness and waited for death. Ooh, yeah, I don't want to be there. Uh, number two, do we understand the implications of believing the gospel in verse two? Uh, it says, for uh, we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. Notice, why did God save you? For, for all too many in the church, and I, I don't mean Edgemont, but in the church in America today, salvation is about going to heaven. We've even changed our gospel to the point where, look, if you will trust Jesus, he will give you eternal life and you get to go to heaven when you die. That's what it's all about. 
It's kind of like, do you realize that the, the implications of believing the gospel is a daily thing? Uh, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The idea is it's not about me, it's about what he wants. I die to that which I want, and I do what he wants. Wow, there is a whole lot going on in there, and it is all because he died to pay the ransom. So I am no longer my own. I belong to him, and he has called me to follow him. Wow, a lot of implications there, okay? So um, do we understand the implications of the Bible? Why did God save you? Letter B, what does God expect from those whom he saves? Can, can we say, here's one thing that he does expect. And when I say expect, he's done everything that's necessary so that we can do it. Faith. He that comes to God must believe that he is, there's implications to that statement, and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what does God expect from us? Uh, do, do, does he expect that we're going to treat him like a cosmic vending machine? Or does he expect that we're going to understand that he's God? And it's not about our life of comfort, but how we can let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify him. That brings us to letter D. Uh, the example of God's rest, Hebrews 4, 4 to 10, verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. Again, in the passage, he says, they will never enter my rest, since it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he specifies a certain day today. Speaking through David after such a long time as previously stated, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's found in uh, Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Now remember, Joshua did get the children of the children of Israel into the land. They entered into that land of rest. But he didn't give them rest. How do we know? Because God offers it again in the time of David. And then we're going to see, and again today. Verse 9, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did for, for, from his. So uh, the example of God's rest, verse 4, God rested. And verse 5, it is his rest that we're entering into. Now, think about it with me. In days 1 through 6, God's working. He's creating. Okay? In day 7, he rests. But everything's still working. And everything has continued to work. Now, you can say that he put that all into the process as he's creating everything so it would continue to run. But Jesus said when he was here, my father still works. And I see what he's doing and then I join him in the work, which is entering into God's rest. 
What work was he doing? Well, as Pastor pointed out last week, he's saying, today you're going to go to this well. You're going to talk to this lady. He, he was continuing about the business of the work. He was still maintaining every, all the processes, but now he's reaching people. You're going to go and uh, heal this young lady that's, well, she's going to be dead, <laughs> but you're going to raise her up. Okay, I, I'm going there. Uh, that kind of thing. So it's God's rest. Number three, some will get to experience it in verse six. Uh, This ought to be a a word of hope for each one of us. In verse six, it says, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Some will get to experience it. Now, how about the church as a whole? Will we all get to experience it? The possibility that every single person that's born again to enter into that rest is there. It's available. Will we believe and walk in that rest? Or will we try and do all of the works, Romans 7? Or will we look at church as something you're supposed to do on Sunday morning, and then Monday through Friday is work week, and we hang out with guys at the water fountain and listen to all the dirty jokes and, and, and. See what I'm saying? So it is available. Some will get to experience it. Uh, it was and is still offered. So it was offered again at the time of Daniel, David, and it's still offered today, verses 7 to 9. And then notice uh, the rest is described this way in verse 10. Ceasing from one's own work. Again, I'll, I'll draw your attention back to Tozer's book here. The one that is not a worshiper will be busy working, and it will amount to wood, hay, and stubble, because they're doing the work. When we're resting with God, as Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So a yoke is where they're holding two side by side. And uh, could one cow do it? Maybe if it's a real strong cow. But two are going to do it one and a half to two times better because the added strength uh, that two of them working together. And so that's the idea here is we're going to be yoked with Christ. Christ is doing the work through us and it's done for the glory of God or with eternal value. So we cease from our own labor. Letter E. Oh, by the way, uh, think about it with me for the people that entered into the land of Israel. They ceased from their own labor. What did they have to do to conquer uh, Jericho? March around, blow some trumpets, and shout. God did all the work. Now, the next city, they had to be a little bit more involved. The next cities, they had to continue to be a little bit more involved. But if you go back and read Joshua, you'll see... But they did not cast out all of the people of. Why not? Because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe God for what he said and follow through and do the work with God. They stopped. It's kind of like, okay, we've conquered them. They're our slaves now. That's good enough. God said, no, I want you to kill them all. Okay. So they ceased from their own labors. God was the one doing the work. They got to participate 
in it. That brings us to letter E, the importance of continuing uh, faith. Verses 11 to 16. Uh, Let's go back to verse 3 for just a moment in chapter 4. It says here, For we who have believed enter the rest. We believed. We entered into this relationship with God whereby we get to experience some of the rest. And yet we're called to get a little bit deeper into it, okay? So uh, diligence to enter, see verse 3, uh, believing the words. Uh, I'm going to start in uh, verse uh, 11 here. Verse 11 says, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. So we've believed, we've entered, but it's a continual thing. So that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You know, think of the put-off, put-on process. How do you stop lying? Tell the truth. What happens if you stop telling the truth? You'll probably go back to lying because that's, again, the natural tendency. So if you're going to be diligent about entering into that rest, what are you going to be doing? Believing. What happens when you're not believing? You're leaning on your own understanding. You're not resting. Okay? So uh, verse 11 Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. If you didn't understand the importance of the word of God in entering into that rest, you'd think this verse does not fit here. But I'd like you to look at a couple of verses with me. 2 Corinthians 10, now I've just put these in order. They might be better understood if we put them in a little bit of a different order, but 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare. Now what did they do when they entered into the land of Israel? They had to go to war. First they had to be obedient. All the men had to be circumcised. Here we are inside the land, not in a place of safety. Enemy is all about us, and you're going to make all the men unable to do battle for at least three days. Sounds like a smart idea to me. No. (laughs) But God's protecting them. And then what do they get to do? They get to go and do battle. Okay? So, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. My wife and I were talking tonight, and she was telling me about someone who struggles with bipolar. That's where the emotions are, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, We, of course, don't believe in labels, but can a person with undisciplined thinking go, we, whoa, Oh, yeah. So what do they need to do? They need to learn some discipline in their thinking. What does Philippians 4 say? Don't worry about anything, right? With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God will pass all understanding, guard your heart. But whatever things are pure, good, just, right, praiseworthy, virtuous, think 
on these things. That takes effort. That takes discipline. And the person that allows their feelings to guide where their thought life is, wow, they're going to be all over creation, right? Can they change it? Sure. But it's going to take believing the Word of God and thinking on purpose the right things. Um, Colossians 3.16. There it is. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The importance of the Word of God in the life of entering into God's rest, let it dwell in you richly. I'm doing this chronological thing with my wife, uh, listening to the Word of God during breakfast, and some days we're listening to five chapters. And every now and again we pause it and talk about what we just heard. Today we had two. What's with that? Give me at least four, you know what I mean? (laughs) Let it dwell in you richly. And then, of course... uh, James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. Uh, 21 says, Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, the trial showed you what was in your heart. And when you recognize, oh, yeah, what came out of my heart was not the way God would have me to live, so I'm going to put that off and put on something else. Well, this is what verse 21 is saying. Uh, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and here's the put on. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Obviously not talking about salvation, talking about growing you up and making you more like Christ. But... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The idea here is he's looking at the mirror. He sees the big zit on the middle of his forehead. He walks away, forgets that it's there, and wonders, why is everybody looking at my forehead? That's the idea because, let's face it, when you have a sin problem and you try and hide it, ultimately, it comes out, and you're the only one that thinks that it's not that bad. Everybody else is going, can't believe that guy, I'll tell you. You know, uh, we stand in judgment of you, but uh, that's what happens. He deceives himself. Now notice, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, yeah, I already read that, Um, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be Blessed. Now, again, the word blessed basically means, oh, how very happy. Oh, how very happy in what he does. So, believing the word of God. And then, of course, remembering. Number one, our accountability to God. Verse 13, it says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I think in our ungodliness, and that's basically living life as though God isn't there. Or if he is there, he's a lot like me, so if I think it's okay, he thinks it's okay. We kind of forget that he is holy and he is just, and sometimes the things we do that we justify, we make an allowance for, we just totally forget. Someday I'm going to stand before him and give an account for this, and this is going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to burn up, and I'm going to sit there in my shame because I wanted to hear 
well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I was too busy thinking about me and what I wanted at the time. Ouch. So our accountability. Verse 14, remembering our great high priest. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. Uh, the idea is remembering who he is. And because we have trusted in him, our confession. It says, uh, let us hold fast. Verse 14 there, uh, I'm trying to find it again. There it is. Uh, let us hold fast to our confession. You know, if I've put my trust in him, it's not just about going to heaven. I need to trust him now. And five minutes from now, I need to trust him now. And five minutes from now, I need to trust him now. Yeah, but I, I work for this guy that... Here I am working for pastor, right? <laughs> no, uh, I'm talking about as if it's one of you working for some guy out in the world, you know. Um, no, you trust in God. Yeah, I, I struggle with the whole American Revolution concept. Was it a revolution or was it a war of self-defense? And it, trying to justify because someday we may have to... Uh, trust the Lord, Al. Yes, Lord. I'm convicted by that, not all the time, but regularly. So our confession. Number two, his understanding of our situation, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. He had to put up with people that were absolutely ridiculous in the way they approached their religion. He had to put up with people that were hard-hearted, and to put it in Proverbs terminology, stupid. He had to put up with people that were close to him that didn't get it. He had to put up with a person that was really close to him that betrayed him. Wow. Does he understand what we're going through? Maybe just a little. Okay. And then our ability, remembering our ability to come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, one of the things that, again, I think we're going to have to see if we're going to enter that rest is this is a relationship. It is not a, okay, God said I have to do this, so I have to do this. Yeah, God did say you have to do this, but it's a relationship. Notice what it says here. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. The concept is confidence. It's not proud arrogance walking in there. It's, I have this relationship with God, and yeah, even if I had a bad day, I can come to him, Abba, Father, I really blew it today. How do I know that? Notice what it says here. We uh, boldly approach the throne of grace uh, so that we may receive mercy. When do you need mercy? When you had a bad day. But it goes on to say, and find grace to help at the proper time. Uh, so every day we need grace. Uh, Paul Tripp wrote a book, a devotional book called Morning Mercies, New Morning Mercies. Lynn and I have been through that probably four times. Um, one of the reasons why I like it is every day he's reminding us God is a God of grace. He wants to give you what's necessary to live the way you ought to live for him today. Doesn't matter what you, how bad you blew it yesterday. He's got a grace. And that's the truth, something we all need to be 
remembering, if we're going to enter into this race, uh, into this rest of God's, first of all, we have access to it. Second of all, it's going to be believing what he says. So we probably ought to really know what he says. And in being involved in this relationship, we're constantly coming to him. Why? Because he wants us to. And as we do, we get to experience rest. Not the rest of salvation, if you will, but the rest of our relationship with him. Well, that's tonight. So... Uh, if anyone would like to start us in prayer, we can spend a little bit of time in prayer. We're, we're remembering a variety of people, the Smiley family, and was it Ron? And then there's uh, someone over here, Julie, uh, Julie.